Hi friends, welcome back to Nate Talks to His Friends About Jesus. Man, it's almost summer, and holy cow, we're already at like the final week of Jesus Christ's life. Honestly, like the, these books are so narrow, we, we just really don't have a ton on him. And that in itself is kind of fascinating. So the last week of, of Jesus' ministry is approaching as we're studying here, and, and he is going voluntarily to his death. But as usual, he stops along his way and he ministers. See, as Jesus passes through Jericho, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is a publican and he was rich. So how the other Jews see it is that he sold out to the Romans and he profits because he's a sellout. He's a traitor to his race, all of that. And he really wanted to see Jesus, but he's too short. So he runs before Jesus, climbs up into a sycamore tree just to see Jesus pass. And it's kind of interesting, this man like super wealthy, willing to climb a tree just to catch a glimpse of Jesus. Well, when Jesus comes by, he looks up and he sees Zacchaeus in a tree. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down. He's like, I'm going to stay at your house. And so Zacchaeus comes down and receives Jesus joyfully. But when everybody else sees it, they all start complaining. They're like, Jesus is going to a sinner's house. Again, this should give us a glimpse of how we view quote unquote sin. Like so often we're, we're concerned about just being good. And uh, when Jesus is concerned with doing good, it's not about judging what somebody deserves, but judging what they need, Right. And Zacchaeus is just like, Jesus, I try to be a good person. I give half of what I earn to the poor. And I've tried to make up for things that I screwed up on when I lied, when I wasn't good. And Jesus just says, hey, listen, this day is salvation come to your house. For the Son of Man is come to seek and save that which were lost. You'd stop, stop, stop right there. That is Jesus' mission, period. To save you. Not to wait till you're good enough. But he's saying, you're not saved because you have made reparations or you've done all the right things or you're trying so hard. He's like, you're saved because I'm here. That's it. That's real. Just trust in that. And that there's a ton of people as Jesus travels on from Zacchaeus's house. And they're around the area, not just because of Jesus's fame, but also they're there because Lazarus, like how often do you get to see a guy who was dead, three days dead, rotting flesh, no question he's dead. And now he's alive. But not everybody finds this to be so amazing. The tree priests are like, yeah, let's find a way to kill Lazarus along with Jesus so that there's no record of this. But because of Lazarus, more and more people are believing on Jesus and, and some of the Jewish leaders are getting more and more nervous about this. So um, they, they leave Zacchaeus' house, they travel on through Bethany and they, they travel on towards Jerusalem. And as Jesus is coming on towards Jerusalem. He passes the Mount Olives. And at that point, he sends two, sends two of his disciples on before him. 
And he says, I want you to go into the next village over and you are going to find a colt tied up. And nobody has ever ridden on this colt. I want you to untie this colt and bring him to me. Now, this is kind of weird. Like that sounds kind of like Grand Theft Donkey, but uh, they go and do it. And he's like, don't worry. If anybody asks why you, you are untying this colt, just say, because the Lord has need of him. So they went their way. They found the colt. Um, and one of the owners is like, um, excuse me? And they just say, the Lord has need of him. And apparently that's enough. And as Jesus rides into the city, he is received with adoration like a king returning victorious from battle. People put palm fronds in the, um, in the way. They spread their clothing in the path of this, this cult as Jesus passes. It's this celebration that Jesus is the Christ. And you remember the definition of Christ is anointed one. He is the true king, the true high priest, the chosen deliverer. And that is why they are so excited. And they cry out saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory on the highest. But again, some of these Pharisees, they're just so stuck with this. Hey, you're not supposed to do that. And honestly, I really, I really wonder, it's so easy to cast stones at Pharisees, but I feel like we are so much like them. We like rules. We like categories. We like to say you're following the rules. You're not following the rules. Even very non-religious people I have found like that they, they're really all about like, oh, you're supposed to do it blank this way, right? And so they're like, Jesus, tell your disciples not to do that. And he's like, I can't. If they don't cry out, the very stones of the earth would cry out. This is the welcome of the true king. This is how I think we should approach Jesus in our prayers. Do we approach him with this awe, this reverence, this glory and power? After entering into the city, he goes to his palace he goes to the temple of God and he cast out those that sold in the temple. He's just like, this is not the way to do it. Now, I don't know about you, but this is like the series of verses that every person with a temper refers to that, to prove that their anger and temper is a godlike thing. Uh, chances are you are not in as much control as Jesus is. And if you can react with as much love and tolerance as Jesus does, for a whole week, maybe we'll sit down and have a conversation, but I'm not hearing any justification of your anger just from this. And Jesus just says, this needs to be a holy space. It, it cannot be a place of manipulation. It cannot be a place where you take advantage of people. This is not what I'm about. This is not what my kingdom is about. And, and almost as evidence of that, immediately after the temple is, free from this manipulation and the, this hardship, then you have this influx of those hurting, those who are blind, who are lame, and they come and he heals them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the things they'd done and they see people crying in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they are sore displeased. It's, it's kind of like Aladdin comes in and Jafar is like, well, let's, let's wreck this, right? And so they come up to him in the temple and they're like, by what authority do you do this? Like, who gave you the authority to cleanse the temple, teaching here and healing you here? 
Like, well, what is he gonna say? He's not. He's not in the uh, rabbinic tradition. Not trained in any of the schools. Um, what does he say? He's like, sure, I'll totally tell you. You just tell me one thing first. The baptism of John was it from heaven, or did he make it up? And they're nervous because if they say from heaven, then he'll say, why didn't you believe him? And if they say, if he just made it up, then the people will riot because they love John. And they're just like, we can't answer that question. He's like, well, then I'm not going to answer your question. (laughs) I love this guy. And Jesus just keeps coming at them. And I can't emphasize enough that these are not drug dealers and prostitutes that he has a problem with. It's not those struggling with the law of chastity that he's screaming at all the time. It's those who think they are good, who are so certain that their way is the right way and are completely inflexible. Honestly, that idea is kind of scary to me. Like I feel like each one of us will get so sure that I am right and everybody else is wrong. Ah, that's the problem, right? He's like, guys, think of it this way. Uh, There's a guy who had two sons and he came to the first son. He said, son, please go to work in the vineyard. And the son is like, nope, not doing that, dad. Then later on, he's like, ah, fine. And he goes out and he does it. The father doesn't even follow up with him. He just repents and goes out. And comes to the second son and he says, hey, son, I need your help in the vineyard. And he's like, dad, I'm on it. But then he never showed up. And it, so he asks the question, he says, which of these two sons did the will of the father? And they're like, the first, obviously. And he says, verily I say unto you, listen to this carefully, listen to this. The sinners and harlots morally compromised individuals, those full of sexual sin, go into the kingdom of heaven before you. Take a minute and observe the weight of that statement. We are so obsessed with being good that we are missing the redemption of Jesus. We're so busy checking a checklist of what it means to be righteous and justified that we are missing him. Publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Why? Because when John came, you didn't believe, but the harlots believed. And when they'd seen, they changed, but you didn't change. That's the question. Are you open to changing? Are you willing to be transformed Are you allowing the trust you have in Jesus Christ to transform you, to make you different, to uh, just completely reshape your life bit by bit? Remember the sacrament prayer is that we're willing or do you know what's right and you're stuck in it? Man, careful there. Listen to another story he says. There's a certain landowner who had a, a vineyard and he, he protected it with a hedge, built a wine press, built a tower to keep it away from attack. And then he hired certain husbandmen. A husbandman is somebody who cares for land 
And then he went on a, a journey to a far country. And when it was time for the harvest, he sent his representatives to the husbandmen, to the, the guys he'd hired to take care of this vineyard, so that he could receive the, the, the fruit that he rightly owned. But the husbandmen that took his servants that came, and they came one after another, it seems, and they beat one, they killed another, they stoned another. These are some violent individuals. And so the, the husbandman, excuse me, the, the landowner thinks, well, I'll send my son. They'll reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said, this is the heir. Let's kill him. And then there's no one to take the inheritance except for us. Notice Jesus comes in as a king, right? The heir. And they caught him, cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. And Jesus says, what do you think the landowner will do to those husbandmen when he comes back? The, the, the answer is just right on the tip of their tongues. He will destroy those wicked men and he will have somebody else take care of the vineyard. And Jesus says, are you seeing what I'm saying? Did you ever read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected becomes the head in the corner. Therefore, I say unto you, this is, a, this is a stark promise. The kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth fruits thereof. And when they hear this, they perceive that, that Jesus is calling them out and they're right there in front of everybody, try to take him by force. But like so many people are loving what he's saying. They, they're just like, oh, deeply frustrated. And so Jesus keeps going and he says, listen, we're talking about, he comes in as a king, right? And then he starts talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's like, God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king. And this king made a marriage for his son and he sent forth servants to, to invite everyone to this feast. Everyone come and eat delicious <laughs> brisket, barbecue, wonderful things, right? The best possible dinner you can imagine. But the people that were invited made light of it. They didn't take the invitation seriously. One went to take care of his farm. Notice it's not bad things. Another went to take care of his business. But some like just straight up like spitefully treated this invitation to come to a banquet. They slew the messengers to come to the banquet. And the king is like, are you kidding me? You can imagine like he is throwing a free banquet for the citizens of his city and they murder the people inviting them to do good. He's like, are you joking me right now? So he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burnt up their city. And then he said to his servants, well, the wedding feast is ready, but those that were invited didn't want to come. Go out to the streets. Go out to the roadways and find anyone and invite them to come to the marriage. And so they went out on the highways 
And they found low class and high, bad people and good, and filled up that wedding with guests. Oh, come on, you got to think about this a little bit. Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven is like this. What does that even mean? So often, like, we're treating the kingdom of heaven like a birthright that we're born into. This is interesting. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take away from you the, the wrestle here, but you gotta think about this. When the king came into this wedding feast, he saw a man there which had not a wedding garment. And he said, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Obviously, it was easy to get and they were all provided. It was free. And the king says, Bind this man, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. What do you make of this? What if you're invited to partake in Jesus' glory and you just can't be troubled? What if you just don't care? Well, what about this second part? What if you're in the kingdom, but you don't care? It seems like Jesus is saying, just try. Just care. Don't be perfect. Stop even worrying about that. Don't even let that cross your mind. Just be here and care. Now, you remember our analogy, Aladdin and Jafar? It's an imperfect analogy, but Jafar is not done. He wants to prove Aladdin is a fake. So the Pharisees take counsel how they might trip Jesus up because he's teaching the, the people and the people are loving him. So they sent out their disciples with carefully crafted questions. And they, they start like, sweet as honey. They're like, master, we know you are true. You teach the way of God. They're really buttering it up, laying it on thick. You don't care about what any man thinks. You just tell the truth. Therefore, if that's the case, what do you think? Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus' immediate reaction is, what are you trying to do, you hypocrite? just calling him out. He's like, you're, you're pl- pretending like you want to know the way, but you are just completely trying to manipulate the situation. He's like, okay, give me what, the type of money we pay taxes in. Give me the tribute money. Somebody brought him a penny. And he holds it up and he's like, whose picture do you see on here? And they're like, uh, Caesar's? He's like, well, if it's Caesar's, give it to Caesar and give God the things of God. And they're like, whoa they they planned on him saying like no don't pay to to caesar because he's coming in as this true king and they're going to be like reporting him to the romans and then if he he says yeah go ahead and pay taxes and then they'd be like oh you're betraying our country you're a traitor and a sellout but his he's so elegant here so they they try another um trick and the way Jesus answers is because of the way they're trying to trick him. You remember his last answer is kind of a non-answer here. And so you get these people, the Sadducees, who believe there is no resurrection. And they ask him about the resurrection. You cannot lose sight of the fact that they don't even believe in the resurrection right here. And that they're asking a question about resurrection. 
So they say, if a man die and have no children and his brother marries his wife to raise up seed, this is a tradition, right? And it's a beautiful tradition. It's weird in our culture, but like in, in the ancient days, you don't have that that many paths forward. If your spouse dies and you don't have kids to take care of you, there's no welfare, there's no social security. So this is a beautiful way to make sure that, that women are taken care of here. And so they, he says, now there was with us seven brothers and the first one married a wife and died and they had no children. And so his wife married all the other brothers, second through the seventh, and they didn't have any children. So a woman married seven times. So they're like, and keep in mind, they don't even believe in the resurrection. So they're just like trying to trip him up. They're like, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? And Jesus says, you don't even give what you're talking about. In the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Now, I wouldn't stress too much about this. We clearly believe in um, eternal families that the clarity in the doctrine of covenants in other locations is so clear here. What Jesus is doing is giving kind of a non-answer to a non-question, if that makes sense. And after he finishes up, he, he says, um, but touching the resurrection of the dead, giving the real answer. God says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. He's like, you don't even believe in the resurrection, but God believes in the resurrection. He just straight up calls them out, gives a non-answer to their stupid question. And this says, but the more important question is, when are you going to believe in the resurrection? Because this is huge. So when the Pharisees saw that the Herodians were put to silence, the Sadducees were put to silence, the Pharisees get, got together and one lawyer comes up and he's ready to like argue and twist his words. And so he says, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And now the law is really detailed as we went through the Old Testament, Deuteronomy and all of that. It's really intense. There's tons of laws. And Jesus, with no hesitation, says, The greatest law is thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and the great commandment. If you want a bonus, the second great commandment is love thy neighbor as thyself. Both of these are drawn from the Old Testament. These are Old Testament commandments. He's like, the, on these two commandments hang all the other laws, all the prophets. Everything people have been saying is love God, love your neighbor. That's it. When we're talking about just caring, that's what we're talking about. We call each other brother and sister. If you want to follow Jesus, act like you mean that. Try to mean that. You might not believe it sometimes, but try to mean that. That's all. Love thy neighbor. Love God. Covers it. And while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, you asked me a question, what about you? What do you think about Christ? Whose son is he? And now he's obliquely referring to himself, but he's talking more about the general concept of the Redeemer, of the Christ, of the Messiah, of the Anointed One. Uh, and they, they make immediate answer. They're like, obviously he's the son of David. That's what the scriptures say. And Jesus is like, well then, if he's David's son, how does David pray to him? Now he's quoting a, a psalm here. And David says, Lord, and he calls out to, to, to the Christ, to the Savior and Redeemer, and, and asks him to make his enemies his footstool. And then Jesus, after quoting the psalm, says, if David calls Christ Lord, 
how is he his son? And they're like, bro, I have no idea. Mic drop. Boom, right there. And so they wrap up for the day and Jesus, it seems, goes back to Bethany uh, where he is staying. And when they walk from Bethany back into the city, he sees a fig tree. Um, and uh, the, the fig tree is not bearing forth fruit. And so Jesus uh, curses it. And the next day they find it all dried up. And um, Peter is like, how did you do that? And Jesus says, have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, whosoever shall say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he, hath, which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when you pray, Believe that you receive them, and you shall receive them. Listen to me. This might be almost a side note in the story, but it is real. You can transform things. We believe in a God of miracles, not just in a God of ethics. We believe that God can, can influence the, this very earth. He can create things. We believe that God cares about what you desire. So put it to work. Put forth your desires. Let go of your doubts. Trust that there is more at work in this world than you can perceive and go for it. Really go all in for miracles. You know what I've done lately? Like I, I've started to pray prayers of gratitude for things that haven't happened yet. Like I'll, I'll say thank you to God for the things I desire, but just s thank him as if they are already here. Now, some of you might be like, well, what if it doesn't happen? Well, then it doesn't happen. I'll stay curious about what God means in that moment. But approaching him with this spirit of abundance and gratitude has a magic feeling and Jesus really means it when he promises that if we have faith, we can change things. This is a real thing. We believe in a God of miracles being brought up in a scientific universe, which is very good, mind you, but it has limited your thoughts, put boxes around your thoughts a little bit about what you can prove and what you can uh, make happen. And I think you can make happen more than you've ever believed possible. Anyways, back to Jesus. The true king has entered his kingdom. He's taken possession of his palace. He's defended his claim against usurpers. Now what? Usually a king at this point would start collecting taxes and spreading his influence and power and establishing himself. Jesus says something drastically different. He says, verily I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat, a kernel of wheat fall to the ground and die, it will always be singular. But if that grain of wheat dies, well, then it will bring forth much, many more grains of, of wheat. He that loveth his life is going to lose it. But he that loses his life shall keep it even life eternal. That's a very different king message. This is the judgment of the world. 
Here's how I'm going to judge the world instead, he's saying. I'm going to take Satan, the prince of this world, and I'm going to cast him out. And then I'm going to be lifted up so that I can draw you to me. While ye have light, believe in the light, that you may be children of light. See with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, be converted that I should heal them. Like, uh, um, just feel what Jesus is trying to do. I am come a light to the world, and whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I am judge him, I judge him not. For I come not to judge the world, but to save the world. Okay, John sometimes is a little bit tricky here. When we're saying usually a true king will try and expand his power, what does Jesus say? Well, he says, I am going to die that more fruit can come, more light can come, more redemption can come. I am going to be lifted up to draw you to me. My death is going to bring me into a communion with you. This is what the true king is all about. He's going to be lifted up, lose his life so that he can, like a seed, die and bring forth more life and light. He does it to draw you to him, to grant you life eternally and to heal you and fill you up with light. This is what the gospel is all about. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Will you put your faith, put your trust in that concept? Will you try to believe that Jesus has come here to draw you to him? That you're okay as you are. Come right now and partake of what he has to offer. Let him transform you. Stop thinking you have to grit your way to this. Open up your heart and see what he does to you. You are not too old. You are not too sinful. It is not too late. If you will just try and start small, thank him for the goodness in your life. Open your heart and ask if he loves you, if he knows you. Watch what happens. I promise you there is more to this world than you can perceive. There is greater power than you understand. It is astoundingly big. Let him in. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.